0: Uh, we'll be in Proverbs chapter 1. Uh, I'll pray for us and we'll go ahead and dig in. Uh, King Jesus, as we approach this text, we pray now for wisdom and leaning to the promises that you will give us wisdom, but I pray, Lord, Lord, as, as we get into any of the wisdom literature that you've provided, that we don't turn the thing into a to-do manual, or, or more importantly, that the thing isn't divorced from the reality of who you are and how you have made the world. Uh, I even just pray for myself. There are many errors we can get into in this text. That doesn't mean we don't approach the text. It just means we need to be careful. And so I pray that whatever is just of me would be forgotten, but the things that are of you, Lord, uh, would be remembered, uh, that you would make much of your name uh, through your word. Uh, all scripture is breathed out by you and is useful. And so I pray for you to make use of it in our hearts today and through it help us to worship you more. Uh, we love you, Jesus, and pray these things in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, we're in Proverbs chapter 1. We'll be doing Proverbs uh, chapter 1 through 9, and I'll explain that a little bit as we dig in. So here's our challenge. Right now, uh, you and I live in the information age. That's what we're calling it. Uh, It it is a time and a place where now all of a sudden uh, it's Thanksgiving, and your crazy uncle says something crazy about something crazy. And he says, no, no, it's real. And instead of saying, well, I'm going to go home and look it up in the Encyclopedia Britannica," you pull out your telephone and you go to Wikipedia and you say, some guy without a degree or any references says you're wrong, Uncle Crazy Crazy. And everyone says, see, I have the information, I, I have the power. Um, this has had some, some pretty serious detriments, I think, to how we function in the world. Uh, I'm told on good authority, not mine, but somebody else's research, a good friend of mine, who's very interested in the idea of leadership and the idea of development of people. And, and what's happened in the last century, we've turned all of what is what we call leadership into how to do things better. How the information that you need have and the skill set you need uh, to get people that are, you are in leadership over to do what you want them to do. Uh, it, it's really boiled down to, and if you're, you know if you're the CEO of a company, uh, you need to get some things done. So what you really need is some kind of system uh, that you can punch your stuff into, and now you can put it on your phone and on your computer to get things done. And we have a system that's based on information, that, it, that it's all based on information. And the problem there is that what we used to do with that kind of a thing was called character. We built into human beings character, honor, courage, truthfulness, bravery. Those were our priorities. Now our priorities are how do you get some items done? How do you get some things? It doesn't have anything to do with your character, right? Think about that for just a minute, the implication. That 200 years ago, the focus is, this guy wants to be a physician, and we need to make sure he has character. No, no, this guy wants to be a physician, wants to make lots of money, so we need to give him the information that he needs to be able to be that physician. There's a difference there, I'm not saying doctors, obviously, there are plenty of doctors with character, I'm just saying it's a shift in thinking that's no longer about pouring into the person, but the transference of information from one person to another, and this has some serious detriments. One is it doesn't help. B.F. Skinner, and you may have heard this illustration before because I think it's so helpful because B.F. Skinner is not a Christian, but he made some great observations. Uh, B.F. Skinner was a behavioral psychologist. He wrote a book called Walden II, not a Christian by any stretch of the imagination, not really anybody you want that much to do with, to be totally honest with you. At the end of his life, he was invited to a commencement speech. Uh, at a university. It's the last speaking gig he does as this famous guy. And usually when you, when you have a, a speech like that, you bring out the CEO of REI or something, and he says, and you need to have passion and dreams, and if you just dream the dreams you dream, you'll get to your dreams. Go get some dreams. And everyone claps, yeah, we've graduated dreams. We love dreams. That's how you do that, by the way. If you invite me to your commitments, that's what you'll get. Um, and it will clap. He comes out and he says, you know what I think is a problem with human... Human beings? Everything. I don't think we're gonna make it. (laughs) He said, I don't think the human race is gonna make it. And he he uses smoking as the example. He says, Look at smoking. We know smoking will kill you, and yet we spend money on cigarettes and smoke. Thank you, good night. That's what he says. Human race is doomed. Smoking's my example. We're all in a lot of trouble. It's not that we don't have the information right? It's 2015. We know the health risks of these little things and we also know how much they cost and and we we keep buying them and smoking them and it's still dangerous. And if you're a smoker, I love you and I'm just using it as an example. I'm not saying anything you probably don't already know. Now what's the problem there? Plenty of information. Plenty of information. It's not really about information at that point in time. No. I think what our problem is, we actually lack wisdom. Wisdom's not just information. And in fact, Proverbs is going to use a lot of different words. Uh, I'm operating out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It's an experiment. I am taking it out for a test drive. Many of you have the ESV, also a very good Bible. Uh, But the words in the ESV are are in the Holman. There's all these different words like insight, understanding, wisdom. What else? What else? There's some great ones, right? Those are some big ones. Insight, wisdom, understanding. This is more than information. This is about having a framework for reality. Uh, I was born in 1981, which means somewhere in the late 1980s, I had several shoeboxes full of baseball cards. I had lots and lots and lots of data, lots of information about the game of baseball, but the problem is is if you flip over your 1987 Don Mattingly all-star card from tops, and you look at the back because you're in the second grade and it says a bunch of stuff but you have no idea how baseball is played, you don't know what any of those numbers actually mean. You have no framework for understanding reality. Our problem is that we don't have a framework for understanding reality. And this is deadly. Proverbs is going to tell us. So wisdom is more than information. It's a framework for reality. And as people who know who Jesus is, we understand the source of that wisdom. It comes from God. It's not just practical skills. It's not just how to buy a house or how to have a better life. But really, as we're going to see in Proverbs, uh, as we work through it in these next few weeks, it's about knowing God and understanding who God is and how he has made the world. And that's not just in Proverbs. Uh, Clearest of this, uh, Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, says this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is God's power to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the understanding of the experts. Where is the philosopher? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made world, uh, the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know, uh, uh, for in the world's wisdom, for instance, in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God has uh, was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of the message preached, the gospel. The gospel doesn't make any sense in the world's economy. The gospel doesn't make any sense in the world's framework. The world's framework. Uh, regardless if it's American karma or Islam or whatever, always boils down to, did you do enough good stuff to get in with the man upstairs? Your stuff's going to be put on the scale. You're good. You're bad. Weigh it out. That's the whole thing about karma, right? I mean, this is the predominant spirituality of Seattle, so you need to be very acquainted with it if you want to share the gospel in it. The reality is is that we love a sort of uh, a twist, if you will, Uh, I, before I met Jesus, was into Buddhism and all that stuff. It's actually different here than it is uh, in the East. But here the main thing is, you got to do good, so good things will happen to you. And if you do bad things, bad things will happen to you. If you do good, good things will happen to you. That's awesome as long as you think you are awesome. As long as you think you are a good person or okay with the inner workings of your own selfishness and your own heart. Now, of course, the problem is it's all about you, right? Uh, I'm going to give somebody something so that I get something out of it. That's Actually, if you take the word karma out of it, you say, "Why well, give people stuff so I get good stuff out of the deal. We call that selfish manipulation uh, back on planet Earth when you take the word karma out of it and take good karma out of it and take it off the tip jar. I'm, I'm not giving you the tip. I'm giving me the tip because I need something in return. There's a problem there. There's a problem there. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that I have done wrong and God in Jesus has done good and right and saved me by his own blood and by the power of his cross, not because of anything I've done, but because of everything Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, has done to save me from myself and there's nothing I can do to add to that. You want to talk about a framework for reality? This is the beginning of our framework for reality. I'll keep going back in 1 Corinthians where we're not preaching from today. But here we are. For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased to save those who believed believed through the foolishness of the message preached. Now, it's the world's view of that gospel. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, all the people he just mentioned, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. God has given wisdom. God has given a framework for understanding because understanding who Jesus is isn't about understanding just little teeny facts. Okay, again, it's not the baseball card. So the baseball, and hey, before I say this, people that get saved hearing the four spiritual laws, so I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying when they sit there by themselves, they can be kind of reduced to a baseball card. You're sinful, God's not, Jesus saves, believe. Well, if I don't understand, oh, yeah, I am sinful and I need God. Oh, my goodness, I do need God. There's understanding that comes to put that baseball card into effect, right? Because the reality of knowing who Jesus is is a whole framework. It's not that Jesus was a good man and I'm going to listen to him. It's that the world is broken. We broke it. God has promised to fix it. The world he made good, we broke. He's going to fix with Jesus. And if you are a Christian, you are living in the framework as redeemed people. you got to understand the framework for your reality. God has the hairs on your head numbered reality. Jesus loves you more than you love him, and Jesus loves you more than you love yourself, and Jesus loves more you more than you can possibly imagine. Framework for reality. You're forgiven for all your sins before you met Jesus and all the sins you commit after you met Jesus. And we live a life of holiness, uh, being sanctified, being changed turning from sin and turning to Jesus. But if you miss the fact that He loves you and has saved you and forgiven you and redeemed you, we reduce back to that karma thing where i got to repent from my sins so that God won't throw a lightning bolt at me. In fact, I repent from my sins because I understand everything I deserve was already put on the person of Jesus on my behalf so I could be saved and know God. That's a framework for reality. That is a shift in how the world works. And it's the gospel, and it's really good news. Well, Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power. And Christ is God's power and wisdom. His wisdom is most clearly manifest in his son, Jesus. Because God's foolishness, get this here. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Praise the Lord. One more real quick, and then we'll get into Proverbs, just so you can see the, what we're dealing with here when we talk about God as the source of wisdom. Oh, the depths of the riches, I'm in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to him and has to be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to be him, the glory and glory forevermore. Now, when you put these two together, Christians, church, yeah, you don't get to be his counselor and you don't do anything that earns you some karma points with God. You don't pay him back for anything. But when you put these two texts together, we see how far and untouchable and separate he is from us and yet how near and how much he's let us in on all this through Jesus. Yes, apart from Jesus, this is where we sit. But in Jesus, he begins to reveal himself to us, and we get to know him, and we begin to know a framework for reality. Okay, back to Proverbs chapter 1. So why did we do all that? Why did we take the time? We're in the Old Testament now. We're in the Hebrew Bible, whatever you want to call it, same thing. Why did we take the time to take a detour into 1 Corinthians and Romans? Because we're about to get into Proverbs, and to be frank, a lot of people get Proverbs really, really wrong. And so we have to be very careful. We have to have a framework for the framework that we're trying to understand or we won't get a framework. will try and say framework like 15 or 16 more times. We'll see. So how do we get Proverbs wrong? Well, number one, Proverbs is perhaps the number one book used for a health and wealth gospel. A health and wealth gospel says if you are a good person, if you really love God, if you really follow Jesus, you will have money and you have health. And it will go well for you. There's problems with that. And I would like to start with John the Baptist, the Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter, James. John went to prison. He didn't get beheaded, but he went to prison. You go down the list, the followers of Jesus, the clearest, like most, like par excellence followers of Jesus, don't end their lives healthy and wealthy in the Bible. They end broken and They're dead. They're dead. They die. But, but if you take these proverbs out of context, you can say, well, see, look, it says this. If you do this, it says this. And if you do this, then God will do this for you. Be careful. This is what's called wisdom literature. Yes, there are some solid things we can wrap our minds around and grab for sure. And then some of these, as wisdom literature, it's a different genre. We're not a genre we're always used to. Wisdom literature uh, is about generalizations. There's a lot of generalizations in the book of Proverbs. And the wisdom literature is meant to get all the other wisdom books in the room together, like we're having a cocktail party and let them interact. What do I mean by that? Job. Man, it doesn't go well for Job. Uh, Ecclesiastes. We're looking at 1 through 9, and that's all written by Solomon. Ecclesiastes, always also written by Solomon, it's a great book for a gray day. So, if you feel like being a Seattleite and putting on some Leonard Cohen and hanging out, you can read Ecclesiastes today. Uh, it's a bummer. That's what I mean to say. By all that, I mean to say, in the floweriest language possible, it's a bummer. You know, he's got great lines like, well, it's better to be a living dog than a dead lion. You're like, whoo, that's encouraging. <laughs> Thanks, Solomon. It's an amazing book, though. It's one of my favorites. Um, anyways, so we all get them in the room together. And we have to say It's not that they're contradicting. It's that we're, we get so information-y with them. Proverbs, by definition, are about generalizations. By, by definition. Uh, and the whole point of the book of Proverbs, not all of it's written by Solomon, but 1 through 9 is, and that's where we are, is to find that framework. And, and I, if we land with a health and wealth framework, we've missed the mark. Uh, the other big problem, there's two other big problems with preaching Proverbs. One of them is you cherry pick, and you miss the point of the text. And you say, oh, we're going to preach about um, men, or we're going to preach about women, or we're going to preach about money. Well, first of all, you got to get all the text in there, and then you got to get Ecclesiastes in there about money. Because Proverbs has some really positive things to say about money, and Ecclesiastes, not so much. right? Proverbs is going to tell you to be wise and careful with the resources framework that God has given you. And Ecclesiastes is going to tell you: if you set your mind on money, you're going to find yourselves empty in your soul. Right? But if you just take one or you cherry-pick a couple of verses, man, you could pick a verse and we could have a motivational talk, and you could leave here and say, like, Yeah, I'm gonna get my budget in order and I'm gonna be a millionaire. Anchor church. Woo! <laughs> Don't ever do that, please. <laughs> please. Your budget's important because it belongs to God. But this is a framework issue again. Your budget belongs to God, and so we have to be careful not to, uh, to abuse the text in that way, and just make it say what we want it to say. Uh, and third, and this is the one I'm most afraid of. Now, you will get there if you do these first two, but you could probably do it in some other ways. We're going to try and avoid those. I'm not that creative. The other big problem with Proverbs is you can preach it without preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You can preach it divorced from the gospel. You can preach it Remove from the fact that if you are a Christian, you are saved by grace through faith, and it's not your own doing, but it's a gift from God, uh, not by works that anyone may boast. Proverbs is easy to turn into works. I'm going to put you to work in Proverbs all day long if you remove it from its context. Now, something you'll notice is what we're doing is exegetical. That's a fancy word to say that we're going to open it up, look at every word, and we're going to go from chapter 1, verse 1, to the end of chapter 9. We're going to go through it. Now, you can preach it in a godly, exegetical, non-cruddy way by doing, uh, you know, let's look at what it says about money. You, you can do that. But I know that in recent years, so many people have done it that way and done it wrong that way. Then I'm just nervous, I'm a, little, I'm a little trigger shy about it. So we're gonna do Proverbs one through nine, a, a complete collection written all by Solomon, other stuff's written by other guys with cooler names, but Solomon, or in Hebrew, is named Shlomo. Hey, Shlomo, that's how you say it, true story. So we're gonna look at Solomon's work from one to nine, and, and the main point here is to understand that we're looking for a framework on what reality is and how it works, okay? So what we have to do then, after I just said we're gonna do it exegetically, we have to blow the punchline. We have to go for our spoiler alert. We're starting in verse one, chapter one, verse one, but to do this, to do one through six, you gotta have to skip down with me to chapter one, verse seven. Chapter one, verse seven says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's another one of our framework words. Knowledge, insight, wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So everything that we're going to see in 1 through 6, and in fact everything from 6 to 31, if you miss this, that first and foremost, what you need to do is to know the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Bible. That's His proper name. If you do wisdom apart from him, your wisdom will only take you so far. And in fact, is foolishness compared to God. That's what we heard in Corinthians, right? I've known some wise people. And in fact, when you're a kid, if you don't know wise people, you just cling to people who seem like they have wisdom. And I got a lot of bad advice over the years. And when I met Jesus, I realized the best of the wisdom that I got from those guys was foolishness. Okay? So the fear of the Lord. Now that's a scary word. The fear. Now, I don't want to degrade or take away from the reality that the Bible does say things like, it is a terrible thing to fall in the hands of the living God. If you stand before Jesus apart from Christ, who's paid the price for your sins, you will have to. You will stand before God Almighty with everything and all your junk and be judged. There are many paths of one mountain and they all lead to the white throne of judgment. That's true. The good news is, is that God in his infinite mercy and wisdom sent Jesus to deal with that. He came to drink the cup so that we don't have to. Uh, In that sense, we are inclusivists. We're all jacked up and messed up and we all need Jesus. And there's room under the cross for everybody, everybody, everybody. But you got to turn from you to him. Okay, so I don't want to take away from that. But the weight of this word here, so I want to be careful just not to overly soften that reality because I actually love you and care about you. The way to the word here is awe. The, the seeing God who made everything in all of his brilliance and beauty and wonder and glory should make us freak out, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like awe. It, it, it is, in a sense, like a terrible thing. Like, okay, that's enough, 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 enough. Okay, okay, okay too beautiful, too wonderful, too great, too fantastic, too enjoyable, right? So you have to understand everything we are about to talk about in the context of the reality of the God of the Bible, which we heard in 1 Corinthians is most clearly revealed to us, and who? Yeah, somebody got it. Jesus, right? We're Jesus people. Okay, so now we'll go to the top. I've spoiled the punchline because i got to put everything in that context, but here we go. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Okay, this is the historical Shlomo, uh, the second, third pardon me, the third uh, king of Israel, the second in the line of David, if David is the first. Uh, and so we've rooted this in this historical person. Now, what's important here is this word proverb. Uh, because, and I think we're, we're, we're not as proverbial as we once were, I think, as a people. But, you know, you've heard things, and you're like, what does that even mean? I was thinking about Proverbs this morning as I was getting this sermon ready. Um, you know, A stitch in time saves nine. It rhymes, it's kind of pithy, cool. Not even sure what it means. I was thinking that it might mean that if you sew your clothes before they break you don't have to buy a new t-shirt, but I could be totally wrong on that. I don't know. It, it doesn't really matter, but, but in the English language, when we, have, when we talk about a proverb, we talk about kind of like a pithy, rhymy saying. Uh, and again, a proverb is a truism. It's an observation about reality. The sage, the one of the, the, who writes the proverb, if you will, uh, I, another great word. Uh, he's trying to use sagicity. Sagicity? Sagicity. Sagicity. There it is. I keep thinking of the Rush record, but I'll stop there. Okay. So, and like one guy knows what I'm even talking about. It's all right. So, so as the sage, he's the master observer of life. He is the greatest people watcher there ever was. Uh, he sees how life works. And Solomon, of course, is the wisest man who ever lived. He even says that in the New Testament, right? Has that great moment in Kings. Solomon, what, what do you want? God says to him, he says, give me wisdom. He says, you didn't ask for the, <laughs> the death of your enemies. You didn't ask for money. You didn't ask for fame. You asked for wisdom. And so I'm going to give you money, and I'm going to give you fame, but I'm going to give you wisdom. God gives him wisdom. So he's a, he's a very wise, wise dude. Verse 2. Now we kind of have to take these different words apart and put them back in that framework. Okay, so verse 2 says, for learning what wisdom and discipline are, for understanding insightful things. Now a, a proverb is set up on a two-line system. This is poetry. It's Hebrew poetry. No rhymes. The way you do poetry is a couple of lines. One, two. A-line, B-line. Okay? And sometimes they're used to juxtapose a couple ideas, sometimes they build on ideas, and sometimes they're saying the same idea. Uh, And here we have, this is all kind of in the framework of the the same idea, okay? So the the learning of what wisdom and discipline, I think if you're in the ESV, that's going to be correction, uh, if I'm not mistaken, or something along those lines. Uh, This word in Hebrew definitely has the way, it's corrective. You're off track, and you need to get put back on track. That's what it means. You ever get off track? track. You need to be put back on track. Now, that has to be in the framework of whose track, right? Knowledge of the Lord, God's track. Okay, well, how do we as Christians get on track? Sin and repentance. You repent, you get on track. And namely, who needs to get us on track? God needs to get us on track. What's the main way to get back on track? Being in God's word and actually listening to what he has to say to us. Uh, But you need to see that this kind of idea is rooted uh, in love. It's rooted in seeing someone. Oh, that person's going off the cliff! Ah! Let's put them back on track, away from the cliff. Okay. For understanding insightful sayings. Now, this word here is both a verb and a noun. There's a verb version and a noun version. A verb is a doing thing, and a verb is a, na- or a noun is a naming thing. Uh, which you know, hey, that's the way it goes, right? So it really, literally, is to understand understanding to be discerning about discernment. Uh, It's the same word that means between, being able to judge between two things. Uh, We as people every day need to judge between two things. And again, in the framework, we don't just want to be like, that is a better investment or that's a better decision or that'll get me in less trouble or I can do this or that. It's, man, what is God's way? I need to be able to grow in the ability to discern between what Jesus has for me and what the world has for me. Okay, again, we must keep this in the framework of who God is. And really a big deal with this is is that we might grow in sanctification and holiness and follow Jesus better and better because it's a discerning between his way and another way. For receiving wise instruction. This is another corrective word. It's another word, but it means kind of the same thing. It's another, oh, there's the cliff. Ah, I'm running away from Jesus, and I need to be put back chasing Jesus. Okay. For receiving wise instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity. Integrity is like literally it means like even scales. Because something you could do back in the day, if everything's in gold, and so you go to buy a hundred head of sheep or something, and you put some shekels made out of gold or silver on the scale, you weigh it out, and you use the scales to find out how much. Okay, there's enough silver. Now, what people would do is you can tip, you ever heard that phrase, tip the scales? The scale is about cheating. So you, you put a little extra on there. You make your scales a little lighter. Oh, we'll need a little more silver. We'll need a little more silver. You get a little more silver a few times, you get a lot of silver. For teaching shrewdness. Shrewdness. That's not always the nicest word. Uh, but what I think what we're after here is Jesus', Jesus concept. You be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Uh, it, it can mean skillfulness. You need to learn how to operate. So you have a framework, right? If you have a framework for reality, this is who God is and this is who I am, now I actually have to walk in that. That's not a static thing. The reality is you are who you are and God who is, is who God is, and that's not changing, but you've got to get out of bed every day and operate in the world, and you need some skill and understanding as you operate within that framework. Knowledge and discretion to a young man Now, so here's, you want to talk about, let's talk about how you can get off on Proverbs. Solomon's a guy, he's thinking about his sons, who are going to be kings, and so a lot of the language is used within the framework of a literary device of a father talking to his son. Now, does that mean that wisdom is not for ladies? No. Does it mean that it's only masculine wisdom? No. No, it's a literary device, but some people have really taken that out concept and said, this is all about men, 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 men. Well, yeah, men and women walking in the wisdom of the Lord, knowing who God is and who we are as we operate in the world. Now, there's some stuff that's specific to ladies and some stuff that's specific to men here in Proverbs, uh, but if we, if we took how often this father-son literary device uh, was used and like separated out, like, are you meaning to tell me that uh, wisdom, discipline, understanding, insightful... Uh, Insightfulness, instruction, righteousness, and justice and integrity are male qualities. Wrong. Sorry. Let's keep moving. You know. For teaching trueness, knowledge, and discretion to a young man. It's helpful for a young man to have that. It's helpful for a young lady to have that. Listen to this. Oh, man. Verse 5 is scary. Can I tell you that? Verse 5 is scary and is a drum that is beat throughout Proverbs. A wise man will listen and increase his learning. Well, what's scary about that? In the world of wisdom, in the world of understanding the framework, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. The simple become wise when they're listening. We're going to talk about the simple a lot. We'll talk about sort of characters that are used a lot in the coming weeks. But. So the simple become wise, and the wise become wiser. Because a wise person has the framework for operating within the world that when they hear wisdom, they take it and they put it in their back pocket. It's better to have and not need than to need and not have. Put that in my back pocket. Right? Okay, good, good. Yeah, that's true. That's right. Now, the problem is we're going to be introduced later to the scoffer or to the fool, which sounds so epic. The mocker, the scoffer, the fool. Now, what the Bible's going to tell us again and again in Proverbs about those dudes is those dudes are so hard-hearted and have rejected God and his wisdom so intensely and rejected the truth of the gospel so hard that even when they receive correction, when someone takes them and tries to stop them, oh, you're going to fall off the cliff, get him from falling off the cliff, instead of saying, oh, thank you, I almost fell off that cliff. They hate them. They hate the guy that tells them not to jump off the cliff, and then they jump off the cliff anyways. Now, it says that there's, there's at least two verses where it says, I think it's 19 and 19, and in 24, that the, the, the only person that benefits from that is the simple. The simple person says, Wow, that went really poorly for that guy. I'm not going to do that. But the fool continues to suffer. The wise one, again and again, we'll hear the wise one increases in wisdom. When you have the framework, you build into the framework, it gets better and better. Verse 6, for understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and the riddles. This book is built to help you understand how reality works. It's not built to make you a millionaire. It's not built to make you healthy and wealthy. It's built to help you understand who God is and how his world works and how you work in it. And how do I know that? Verse 7, the fear of the Lord, which we talked about, is the beginning of knowledge. That's where it starts. And that's where it ends, for that matter, if I may. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. There we go again. So wise people and simple people take the wisdom and they run with it, and proud people and mockers and scoffers push against it. We hear this in Psalm 1. Happy or blessed is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path of sinners, or join a group of mockers. Instead, he delights in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he possesses, whatever he does, he prospers. Now, again, so we have to have a different framework for prosper. We have to have a different frame framework for growth. And I think if we look at Job, if we look at ecclesiastes will see these kinds of ideas really 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 sussed out so you can have a million dollars we live in 2015 you can have a billion dollars watch old shows old movies like from the 60s like a million dollars ah! and now we're like a million dollars that'd be nice but i really want a billion dollars we have billionaires now we have zillionaires now whatever they whatever we do right so you can have the lotto. You can win the lotto. And you know that it goes really poorly for people who win the lotto, generally speaking? People who win the lotto, goes horribly for them. How often do I hear the phrase, well, if I could just win the lotto? Ooh, don't do that, man. It goes really, really bad for everybody. You don't want to win the lotto. You want to live. Don't do it. Don't buy it. Okay? Um, so when, when we think about prospering, I mean, prospering is knowing Jesus. Prospering is knowing the gospel. Prospering is being sanctified and growing in holiness. Prosperity is loving Jesus and your neighbor more. That's prosperity. So be careful. And yeah, loving your neighbor can actually involve accruing God's resources that he gives to you to love them. I'm not not, uh, the, the great misquote. Money is the root of all evil. You know, that's a Bible verse that's misquoted. Money is the root of all kinds of evil. The Bible has positive and negative things to say about money. Money's not the problem. Your heart is the problem. What you do with it is the problem. You can worship with it. You can sin with it. That's up to you. But hear this. So seven's going to set us up. There are two roads. Towards God. Away from God. Towards Jesus. Away from Jesus. It's not about being rich and healthy and, and poor and sick. Towards Jesus. Away from Jesus. Again and again and again. And so we are looking at three paragraphs. And I'm going to speed through this last one. okay? Because it just says the same thing over and over and over again. Because it's a dad talking to his son saying the same thing over and over and over and over again in a little bit different ways with the hope that maybe the other shoe will drop, and i will say, oh, right, got it, Pops, got it. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, one road. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Listen, my son, verse 8. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not reject it. Uh, Do not reject your mother's teaching. Your parents have been around the block. If they are godly, wise people, they are good people to listen to for there will be a garland of grace on your head and a gold chain around your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, don't be persuaded. If they say, come with us, let us ambush and kill someone, let's attack some innocent person just for fun. They're leading us, and there. there's people, there's always people who are there to lead you astray. When I first became a Christian, there were a hundred people I could have called at any moment who would have said, yeah, let's go get into some trouble. Let's do it, man. I Yeah, you became a Christian, whatever. Yeah, let's do it. But that there were wise, godly, wonderful people who kept pointing me back to Jesus in the midst of the mess. My son, if sinners entice you, don't be persuaded. If they say, come with us, let us set an ambush and kill someone, let us attack some innocent person just for fun. Let's swallow them alive like Sheol, which is uh, the afterlife, is the grave, is a very complicated theological term, uh, which I'd be happy to unpack at a time when my timer's not yellow. Uh, but you can put the word grave in there, towards death. Um, let's swallow them alive like Sheol, still healthy as they go down to the pit. That's a horrible thing to say, but, but he's, he's really epitomizing it. We'll find all kinds of valuable property and fill our houses with plunder. Let's get rich quick. Let's step on other people to get where we are going, to get what we want out of the world. Throw in your lot with us and we'll share our money. My son, don't travel the road with them or set foot on their path. Don't get near it. I I love Seattle. And if you're a Christian, it means you're in a vast minority, which means hopefully you have friends who don't know who Jesus is. But we must approach those friendships in honor and dignity and godliness. We must be careful the advice we hear from those friends, we run those through a filter. We be careful with the things that we do with them, uh, what they invite us to, what we invite them to. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying, in fact, do it. Just Do it with wisdom. Do it with the framework. Throw in all your, uh, we'll share the money. My son, don't travel the road with them or set foot on their path because their feet run where? Toward trouble. And they hurry to commit murder. It is foolish to spread a net, now we're getting poetic, where any bird can see it. Okay, you don't want to flash your ducks or else they won't come near you and you won't get any food. It is foolish to spread a net where any bird can see it, but they set an ambush to kill themselves. They attack their own lives. They're running into destruction. Do not run with people who are running into destruction. Follow Jesus. Run with Christian people who, when you talk with them, they talk about Jesus. Run with Christian people, even, who don't listen to the world, but listen to God. That when you need advice to something, you don't just hear Dr. Phil. You hear the scriptures. You hear the gospel. Sort out the, the ideas. People are going to say things like, well, you know, I'm just, this is difficult for me. Well, you just need to try harder. Try harder is not the gospel." I want to be more generous with my money. Well, just fake it till you make it. Just give it away until you have a good attitude about it. That sounds good, right? You have that commencement speech. You just got to fake it till you make it, and you'll make it. Wrong. If you don't understand how generous Jesus has been to you, bring it back to the gospel. Here's the reality. Jesus has been very generous to you, and if you have trouble sharing what you have with your neighbors, then you need to know what Jesus has done for you. Well, I know what he's done, but it's still difficult. Well, if it's difficult, then you haven't actually known what he's done. I'm stealing this, by the way, from Jonathan Edwards. This is a direct lift remix from Edwards because he's way smarter than me, and I think he's totally right on this. Uh, It's when you understand how generous Jesus is to you that you can be generous with others. If you fake it, you don't make it. You're just playing the karma game again. You're just playing the report card game again. Um, It is foolish to spread a net where any bird can see it, but they... Set an ambush to kill themselves. They attack their own lives. It is very bad for you to run off that cliff. Such are the paths of all who make profit dishonestly. It takes the lives of those who receive it. Running after sin is running after death. Right? And so we have sort of these two voices that we can listen to. We're going to boil it down into big generalizations because we're in Proverbs and we do generalizations here. So these are broad strokes. Solomon's going to paint with broad strokes. I'm going to paint with. We we lack the understanding of how to sort through the information that we receive. We lack the understanding sometimes to even be able to sort through was that Dr. Phil or, or was that the Bible? You know what I mean? Uh, people can write books and get them published by Christian booksellers that don't have anything to do with Jesus, don't have anything to do with his gospel, and don't actually quote the Bible in context. This is what you need to do, church, especially if you're a member. When I use the Bible, you got to know your Bible. And if you think I've used the Bible in a way that's out of context, we do need to talk about it, and it's not unloving to do so. And I'm not saying I have to be, you're not giving me a grade. I'm saying it's the responsibility of the church to know what's being preached in the church and to say, yeah, that was the Bible. And that was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if a preacher, whoever's standing up here, is consistently off gospel, that is a problem. But if you lack the understanding and the discretion and the discernment, when to deal with that, when to see it, when to say, well, because there's a difference here. This isn't the Andrew Pack show where everybody has to think exactly what I think about every verse. That's not actually healthy in a church, by the way. We we hope you agree with our doctrinal statement, but it's okay to look at something and say, yeah, I see what he's saying. I'm not sure I'm 100% in agreement there. That's not wrong. What's really important is you say, say, that was off gospel. We got to deal with that. Particularly, particularly church if I'm consistently off gospel. It's hard. Uh, You know, me and Ian were talking about this last week as he was getting ready to preach. You got 45 minutes. You got 45 minutes with you guys where I'm stepping into the pulpit and trying to open God's word and tell you about who Jesus is from the text. And anyone who's done this knows there's a challenge there because when you get done, I think Joe and Brian are both here. They probably agree with me Eric's here. When you get done, you step down and you say, oh man, I wish I'd said these three other things. And I really wish I hadn't said that one thing. That wasn't in my outline. Why did I say that? Because we're human beings. We're flawed and we're broken. But God's word's not. But we need to handle it carefully. Okay. And that was me being off outline. But it is important for you to hear that. The reality is that there is an enticement. Come party with us. Come come gossip with us. Come rip down other Christians. There's, there so, there's a thousand books and Internet sites in the world that are, that are built to just rip down Christians. We don't like the Baptists because they do this, or we don't like the Presbyterians because they do this, and we're going to put all our energy into talking about why the Presbyterians are horrible people because they do We love the Presbyterians, by the way. Just as I say, I hope no one's like walking by, oh, do you hear the angry church? They hate the Presbyterians. Man, we love the Pre- we Especially Green Lake Pres just down the hill. Thank you, Jesus, that they're in the hood with us. Love that church. Um, now, we could spend all our time talking about why we disagree with one denomination or one church or another. And I have to ask, as we're doing that, how much are we spending time telling people about who Jesus is, because that's our actual job? How much time are we spending lifting up and worshiping the God of the universe? Because that's our actual job. And I'm not saying that there aren't times when a book comes out and everybody's reading this book, and you're like, my coworker's reading this book by this guy, and it's like, no, that's bad, and we have to deal with it, and we have to look at it, and we're the church. I'm not saying we don't have to deal with stuff, but we need to have wisdom as we execute that. We have to have wisdom as we deal with those things because there's always going to be people who say, come over here and do this other stuff. You can't even feel like you're being productive. Man, come over here and worship Jesus. Come over here to the cross of Christ. Come and learn the Bible. Come and read your Bible. Do you spend more time reading books by guys who are tearing down other guys or reading your Bible? It's a great question to ask. I'm at a seminary. Happens all the time. Cool. We read 15 books on oh, why well, that guy's an idiot. Great. <laughs> yep. Check. Can we read the Bible? I, I don't mean that of but just the context. We gotta be careful. Okay. So now what? Two ways to Jesus away from Jesus, for Jesus, against Jesus. It's binary. This means repentance is turning from sin and to Jesus. When we don't understand this, when we don't believe this, when we understand that this is the framework for reality, we do other stuff. Okay, I've sinned, so I've got to do some things to make it up to God. I I say this often, and I'm going to keep saying it often because I think we need to hear it often. The gospel is not that Jesus paid the price for all of your sins before you met him and you're responsible for the bill after that. The reality of Jesus is that he pays the price for all of your sin for all time, covering it all, right? Which means it's binary. So that means if I've sinned against God in some way, repentance isn't bad Christian, don't do that again. That's works. Okay, so you lied. Bad Christian, don't lie. I'm a Christian, so Christians don't lie. No, no, no. I lied... Because I didn't believe something about Jesus, and I need to see who he is. So it's not about not lying, it's about turning to Jesus. I was greedy, I was selfish, it's not about don't be selfish, it's about turning to the one who's forgiven us for our selfishness. It's, it's, you put anything in this bucket, and so often we want to default to don't do that anymore. This is white knuckling. This is spiritual push-ups. This is not the framework for reality and is not helpful. Again, we need that wisdom and that framework. It's not don't be selfish. It's turn to Christ. I, I repent for my sin, for my right doing, my, for the wrong reasons, all my wrong doing, so I can be nearer Him, so I can be closer to Him, so I can turn to Him. Because that's the road I want to be on. This is the framework for reality, and it's not just in Proverbs. We'll close here in Romans 6. But now... Since you have been liberated from sin, I'm in 22 and 23. But now, since you've been liberated from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification. This act of turning from sin into Christ, we become more like Jesus. We, we see our own sin more and we turn more and more to him and are changed. The beautiful reality of the gospel is in Christ, you now have life. From the second you meet him, we turn from death to life. And you get to be a life, and there's a quality and a quantity to that life. It's called eternal, we're just going to look at just in a second. You get to live. Now, that's salvation. Phase two. Here we are in sanctification. We're being changed more and more into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's grace, too. And that's looking at the cross and the resurrection as well. And we await the day that we experience Glorification. When we're with Jesus forever, actualizing who he's made us, living fully actualized. As we walk in sanctification, we actualize reality. You're forgiven for sins, you repent of sin, and that's the kingdom coming forth in your life as you turn and are more like Christ, and someday we're going to be in the kingdom with him forever, where you're without sin. I run out of words here, but to imagine my life without sin is amazing. Never being selfish, never right things for wrong reasons, never wrong things, never want to, just no sin, just you and Jesus and the church forever with God because of the cross, because of the resurrection. But we're here in sanctification, okay? But now since you've been liberated from sin and have become enslaved to God, uh, you have your fruit which results in sanctification and the end is eternal life. Over here, which actually starts over here, Salvation. It's quality and quantity. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So that's where we find ourselves. There's just two roads, there's no in betweeners. Towards God, away from God, to God, from God. This is the framework, this is reality. If you don't know God, this is the truth. He sent His Son Jesus. To reveal himself, his wisdom, and his framework to us. That we might be saved. And that we might live. And we might live with him forever. And if you don't know him, today is the day. Every other framework is broken. Every other paradigm for reality is false. The way we become a Christian is we turn from our sin and we turn to him. It's binary. We receive his grace. We receive his mercy. We receive the Son of God and be saved. And if you do know him, what is the framework you are operating in? You've been given a framework in Christ, but is that reality? Forgiven, blood-bought, sinner-saint, eternal life, death-barrel, resurrection, God's going to put the whole world back the way it's supposed to be. Is that day-to-day reality for you? Or is it survival of the fittest? Is it you got to do good so God will like you? Is it whatever Dr. Phil said last week? Is it something else is more important than Jesus? If it is, man, Jesus is right there. We, we have that cliff we're running off of. and We turn from that cliff and we turn to Christ. Um, I'll pray for us. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day and we are your people. I pray that we would see the gospel in Proverbs. We'd see the good news that in our foolishness we choose death. And the wisdom that you've given to us through knowing you, through your son, we choose life. God, I just pray for us, help us, guide us, lead us. We don't just need information, we need wisdom. We need to understand what it means that you pay the price for our sins. We need to understand what it means that we have eternal life. We need to understand and have insight and wisdom in all these things. Man, we need to be put back on track by you. So I pray you continue to do that in our life. I pray you'd help us to love you and love others. Pray to help us to share this truth with this city. Jesus, we do love you. Pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ.